Well, get your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So today, if I sound a little boomy, a little echo, a little echo to me, echo to you? No? You're good. We're good in the back? All right. Thank you, Linda. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. All right. So Genesis chapter 1, today we're going to be looking at various scriptures as as we go through our topical study that is on the sanctity of life. Uh, around the world, around the U.S. specifically, this is considered Sanctity of Life Sunday, and the elders have determined that uh, from this point forward, we will use this time yearly to reinforce our belief in the sanctity of life. And as Pastor Tim said, take a stand. Uh, we do take a stand on the sanctity of life. The question, I guess, for us is, is really... Where do you stand when you stand on the sanctity of life? And the place we stand is what we just sang and affirmed just a moment ago. We stand on this. We stand on the firm Word of God. The Word of God is our firm foundation. That is where we stand when it comes to all of life. Family, men, women, marriage, children, education, politics, it all comes from here, the Word of God, and that is where we must stand. And what we see is a time in our culture where many, because of the foundings of this nation, founded upon Judeo-Christian principles, that foundation was developed and, and built And now we see many who reject those things have the pleasure of of living in a wonderful country with freedoms and and values that that we esteem and they hold, but they're standing on that foundation and like having a jackhammer chipping away at it, chipping it away. The very foundation that makes this country a beautiful and wonderful place, they're chipping away. And so we want to come back again, again and again to this place, to this document, to this primary source material, if I can say it that way, which is the Word of God. That is where we stand. I had my community group pray for me this Wednesday as I approached this subject, because obviously when we talk about the subject of abortion, there's a great possibility, a chance that there are those in this congregation, women who maybe have had abortions, or men who have caused abortions to be had. We understand, and we want to affirm as well, the man's role. Without men, there would be no abortions. Let me say it again. Without a man, there could never be an abortion. So brothers, if you, in the past, as I preached through these issues... God brings to your mind the sin that you caused or created. Or sister, if that brings to mind the life you led in the past, I want to affirm up front and let you know that there is hope and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You may be a recovering gossip. You may have gossiped in the the past, which 
damns you to hell because that is a sin. You yourself, through your gossip, are, image, are, are, are damaging those who are created in the image of God. There's hope for you in Jesus Christ. You may have hated people in your hearts or heart, which God says is murder. There's hope for you in Jesus Christ. For yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the great news of the gospel is that Jesus came for you and he died for you for that very sin. And you can be saved. And so for those of us who, as we think of our sins, we do what we often tell you to do here. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We don't make excuses. I was thinking as we're singing about my dear grandfather, who was a believer. He's passed on to his reward, Otto Brian. And Otto was a drunk. He didn't call himself an alcoholic. He was a drunk. And the first time he came to a church in his little community, he was drunk. And he tells of stumbling up the aisle. My dad talks about this, about how embarrassing it was to see my grandfather literally stumble up the aisle to the front of the church and use the place where they had put the communion to, to stand himself up and hold on to and to say to the community there in that church, that, that congregation, I'm a drunk. Please pray for me. Because of that, he came to faith in Christ and his life was changed and that was a, a great testimony for him. But you see, sometimes when we are sinners, we could spend our whole life now rationalizing and justifying our sin. Guess what he wanted for his grandchildren, what he wanted for his, son, for his grandson, Kevin, for his great-grandchildren. My grandfather wanted us not to be drunks. He didn't say, I was a drunk and it was a good thing, and let me explain to you how you two can join, in me, join with me, right? No. Instead, he hoped and prayed and, and didn't rationalize his past sin and hoped and prayed that others around him would not also be involved in the same sin. So that is how we are now. If you have committed this sin in the past, we don't defend it, we don't rationalize it, we don't justify it, but we hope and pray that others will not create or commit the same sins that we have. Isn't that the case? All right, that was all free. That's the introduction. <laughs> so here we go. We're going to start today by praying. Let's start there, and then we'll get into the Word here in a moment. Let's pray together. Father, you are a great God, and we've just proclaimed your greatness in song together as our voices rise together in unity. Lord, even our harmony, a picture of the glorious Trinity, unity and diversity, we thank you for your greatness, for your goodness. As we come to this sober subject today, we ask that you would open our hearts, that you would help us to lay down our defenses, that we would be ready to hear your word proclaimed to us, Lord, and that we would stand firm on your word and the sanctity of life because every person is created in your image and their value is grounded in your greatness and your goodness. We thank you today. Open our eyes to the wonders of your law. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have four points today that I hope we follow along logically. 
to think about the sanctity of life. Why is life sanctified? Why is life holy or sacred? Why is life good? And it's simply these four points. First of all, we're going to show today that God is good. Secondly, that all God creates is good. Thirdly, God desires His image to be spread over the whole earth. And finally, to damage, to disfigure, to destroy God's image is an attack on God Himself. So let's begin. Number one, God is good. Hopefully you've opened your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're not there yet. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. We're, we're gonna, we'll, we'll get, we will get there soon. But let me just go through a few psalms, a few scriptures that, that just ground our belief that God is good, the reality that God is good. Listen, Psalm 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 25, 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Psalm 106, 1, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 119, 68, you are good, speaking to God himself, you are good and you do good, teach me your statutes. In 2 Chronicles 5.13, Solomon has finished building the temple and they bring the Ark of the Covenant in, that symbol that is God coming to fill his temple. And listen, in verse 13 it says, It was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison, in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, what did they sing? For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. The presence of God filled the temple where they couldn't see those who were ministering. God's holiness filled the temple as they sang. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Now, I know that I am preaching to the choir, aren't I? Most of you know God is good. God is good. And a lot of times you'll say God is good, and people say all the time, right? All the time God is good. Yes, it's not a cliche. It is the truth. God is good. He has blessed us. He has blessed us with husbands and with wives and with houses and with cars and with clothing and with food and with children. And more than anything, he's blessed us with his blessed son, Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with salvation and this church. And over and over and over again, we see that God is good. And more than those experiential anecdotal reasons that God is good, we see that his word tells us he is good good. Brothers and sisters, friend, God is good. We could put an equal sign there, right? I remember driving behind someone, I'm like, what is this? I don't understand what hecky is. Why does everyone have this hecky symbol on their car? Hecky, what's hecky? And finally someone's like, you know, he is greater than me. What? We could have God equals good, right? God is good. God is good. Everything that is good comes from God. And because God is good, we know that all He creates is good. God creates. 
and what he creates is good. Let's look now at Genesis chapter 1. Let's think about God's amazing creation, a good God who creates a good creation. Starting with verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let, the, let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given 
you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God is good. And what God creates is good. Throughout this passage, throughout this this history that is given to us, we see over and over again, four times, it is said that God saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. And then what happens? He says, after the creation of man, the pinnacle of creation, God looks at it all and says, it was very good. It was very good. James sums it up this way in the New Testament. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Brothers and sisters, God is good, and everything that God creates is good. And we've experienced this, haven't we? I can remember, and I've probably told it here, but I'm going to tell it again. I can remember one time surfing out near Huntington Beach, and I was there, and as I was there, we saw off the coast a pod of dolphins a ways away. And, was, and people are, at first, the people on the beach are pointing past us. Look out there. Like, so they're, they're all pointing at something. And finally, they think, they think, look, I'm a cool surfer. They're pointing at me. Like, you know, no, they're pointing beyond me. Look out, and there's dolphins out there. And we said, let's go toward them. And we start swimming out there. We start going toward the dolphins. And I think the dolphins went like, what are those guys? Hey, let's go see those guys. They came to us. And as they came to us, maybe 10, 12, I mean, all these dolphins came and started circling us and going around us and around us. And they would come and they would come up and shoot up their little blowhole, blow the steam up. And then just beyond our reach, they would go underneath and just skim underneath the surfboard and go up on the other side. And I kept trying to touch a dolphin. You know, I think, what's he going to do? Is he going to bite? I don't know. <laughs> but I was trying. But, but they were right there. And they were huge. These were not dolphins at SeaWorld looking at a wave. I mean, these were, you were floating out there. And, and I remember just thinking, oh my goodness, look at me. My, how must I look to these guys? I'm wearing this dolphin-like rubbery suit. I've got these funky flippers on my feet. You know, I've got this, you know, we're trying to float out here, all these flotation devices. And they're just seamlessly and beautifully cruising through the waves. One of our friends got tired and started going out further out. And as he went, went further out, we noticed the dolphins were surfing in the waves, Right. And these dolphins, three stacked on top of each other, surfing through this wave as my, my friend is going over the wave. And we're all screaming because we think, they're going to ram him. You know, we're like, Chris, Chris, right? And he's looking back, huh? And just as he looks back, these dolphins just whoosh, right under his board. And we're like, oh, my goodness. You almost got it. And he's like, never saw him. It was beautiful. It was wondrous. The waves got great that day, and I was just filled with joy. And I remember started singing to myself, right? Praise God from whom all big waves flow, right? Praise Him. I had every wave to myself. Everyone started scooting away from that weird guy. I mean, I was singing at the top of my lungs, praise God. Praise God. Look at His wonder. Look at these waves. Look at the, He puts the moon in the, why is the moon where it is? So we can surf. That's why. That's why the moon is there. I haven't surfed in years, so don't come and talk to me about surfing. (laughs) But yes, right? The tides, all those things, the great lights that He's given us. The dolphins, which are, which are amazing and wonderful. God is good. God is good. 
But then we look into the faces of our dear children. We look into the face of our wife, into the face of our husbands, and we see that God is good. He creates not only the great natural wonders of the Grand Canyon or the waves or the ocean or the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. I got a lot of stories about there. I had a, anyway, I can't, I can't tell any more stories. I had a good run-in with a big bear one time in the Sierras. That, 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 that'll put the fear of God in you right there. He created that animal. He created all those things. But the bear, the dolphin, the foxes, the insects, all those things are wonderful and incredible. But guess what? Only one thing, the pinnacle of his creation was created in his image. Man, Adam, the Hebrew word for man becomes the specific word for Adam, right? Adam, mankind. Mankind is created male and female in his image. And so we see in our third point, God desires his image to be spread over the earth. In verse 26 of chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And here we have a, a reference really to the Trinity. God speaking to the Trinity there, the, the Blessed Son and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This verse strikes right at the heart of the overpopulation environmentalist movement. Mankind is not some kind of disease that needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. Mankind is created in the image of God. And God himself says, I want my image to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is good. It is not good that people are not multiplying. Do you realize that even now, used to it was just Europe who had stopped having kids, but now America has followed in its suit. Western cultures, the, the, the more wealthy and the more smart, I guess, we get, we stop having kids. And so now, even this morning as I drove in, I heard someone saying on secular radio, that we are, we've dropped below replacement level in America for having children. Now, we're doing our best here at Redeem South Bay <laughs> to fix that. Praise God. Praise God. And we will continue to do our best to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this is one good thing. It's better for, children, for, for, for believers to have kids, yes. Yes, I'm not so sad when an atheist doesn't have kids, but, but yes, we're, we, we need to be having kids. But God has said all those people, even though God's, the, the image of God, man, man has fallen, we know that from Genesis, we know that man has fallen, still we are created in his image. And so he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. We are created in the image of God, we are image bearers. And I was thinking about this, thinking about how an artist, someone who is creative, 
might paint a beautiful landscape, might paint you know, the Grand Canyon or the ocean or some kind of beautiful uh, landscape painting. That's his creation or his, his piece of artwork. But to, but to paint his own son. There's actually a famous painting of Picasso where he, he's painted his son. And guess what? It's not in those cubicle weird things that Picasso was so known for. There's such softness and such beauty and such reality as he painted a young man, his son, in his own likeness. And so we are created in the likeness of God. We bear his image like a portrait, a photograph, or a mirror. We are image bearers of God. We are thoughtful. We are rational. We are relational. We are creative. And we are eternal. Every single time a baby is born, that child is made in Christ's image, in God's image, in the image of the triune God, and he will live for eternity. We are his image bearers. And this divine image is passed on through procreation. Genesis 1, 1 through 4. It says this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Do you see there what's happening? It's to show us that the image and likeness of God is passed on from generation to generation. It doesn't just start with the first pair, Adam and Eve. It's not that they were creating God's image, and then that's where it stopped. No. As Adam and Eve have children, and their children have children, the image of God is passed through procreation. That is how the image of God is grown and is spread over the face of the earth. God's image is still with us today. Uh, James speaks to it when he says, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. When we're gossiping, when we're cursing another man, we're cursing someone who's made in God's image. We're doing damage. We're doing disruption. We're, 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 we're bringing down God's image. We're attacking God's image. I mean, I thought of being at the Getty and looking at, looking at Monet's water lilies and, and standing there before it and then having some... If someone ran in with a spray paint and just, shh, you know, cry, you'd say, what, what in the world? Don't, what, what do you have against Monet? Nothing, nothing. I just don't like water lilies. You know, I don't know. Right When we attack those who are made in the image of God, we're attacking God himself. This is why we say that the beginning of human life is a magnificent thing. When we look into the face of, of these children that are being born, when we see the work of, of God's hands in the creation of, of little human beings, we know that they are magnificent. They are amazing. Psalm 8, 3 through 6 says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. 
So God's creation is good. God is good. God is good. We've seen that. We know that. All that God creates is good. God desires His image to be spread over the whole earth. And so finally, part four, number four, to damage, to disfigure, to destroy God's image is an attack on God Himself. It's to go against God and His will and His ways. Genesis 9, 1 through 7, after the flood, Noah comes out of the ark and God renews His covenant with Noah. 9 verses 1 through 7 says this in Genesis, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's like he's reminding him again, Okay, we're starting over again. I still want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the grain plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, for this, for his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Then he says this, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? He says, if you go out and you murder someone, you shall be killed. If you kill someone, then you will be killed. Why? For God made man in his own image. Why are we not to murder others? Because God has made man in his own image. It is not our right to take another's life. God is good. God's creation is good. God's image is there, and, and God commands us not to do this. Why? Because we are made in God's image. Therefore, to murder babies in the womb is a direct attack on our Creator's good purposes for man. What is murder but to take an innocent life? To murder babies in the womb or out of the womb to murder anyone, to murder, to murder a grown 56-year-old baby. I used to be a baby, and now I'm standing here before you today. I don't want to be murdered. Why shouldn't you murder Pastor Kevin? Because he's made in the image of God. Let's take a look at the baby in the womb. Listen to Psalm 139, at how deeply God knows us. We talk about his omniscience, his all-knowing power. And the psalmist talks of this here. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. What does God know about us? You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You know everywhere I go. You know everywhere I walk. You know when I lie down, when I get up. And he says, even from a distance, right? Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The psalmist is saying, I can't even get over this. How well you know me. How you know everything about me. Verse 7, he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. 
If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. God sees in the darkness, right? The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed me, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Who does the psalmist say was knit together in his mother's womb? He says, me. You didn't knit together a blob. You didn't knit together a tumor. You didn't knit together some, something down there. No, you knit me together. You fashioned me. If my mother had had an abortion, who would have been killed? Me. Me. What was happening within the innermost parts God was knitting together a person who was fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Jeremiah speaks of this when he is called. Uh, Jeremiah, in, in, in a passage, Jeremiah is called and, and, and the Lord says to him, Now the, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I formed you in the womb. I knew you even before I formed you in the womb. First of all, I formed you in the womb, but I knew you before I formed you in the womb. We often kind of joke about this because Linda and I, when we had uh, Hayden, Hayden was adopted. We've mentioned that before. We were trying to have children and we're not available at that time, so we went to adopt. We went to a place called Nightlife Adoptions in Orange County, a Christian adoption agency, and there we had the possibility of adopting a, a, a little girl from China. And so we were weighing in our hearts a, a, a girl from China, but Linda had gone to this, this seminar at that same place where they had leftover embryos, frozen embryos that were left over from in vitro fertilization. Where do those embryos go? Some are just killed, Right? Those embryos are pre-born persons. And so this wonderful Christian adoption agency began saying, we'll take those frozen embryos and we'll have couples who can't have children adopt them, place them in the mother's womb, and give birth to these children. So we went to this seminar. I went to the one on China. Linda went to the one on, on embryo ado- adoption. And she came back and she says, I like this. I think I, I want to have... I want to give birth, and I want to, we want to give birth to these frozen embryos. So yes, I can say, in a way, along with God, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. <laughs> I chose you. We chose you before you were in your mother's womb. Hayden is truly the original frozen chosen, okay? <laughs> and I asked him last night, could I, could I preach about that? And he said, yes, you may. <laughs> But what's interesting is, is, is we had three embryos that we had adopted. We put three into Linda. And it was interesting. And, I, and, and God bless some well-meaning Christians when you say, we're, everyone was praying for Pastor Kevin during that time. Pastor Kevin, every time I preach, I talk about, you know, well, first of all, the, they were shipping these embryos via FedEx. You remember that? <laughs> Literally. Yeah, the stork didn't bring Hayden. The FedEx man did. And, and, and well-meaning Christians would say, 
You know, I said, pray for us. Pray for our babies that are in my wife's womb. And they would say, how many do you want? We say, well, we put in three. But how many do you want? We want three. We're pro-life. Each embryo is, is valuable and in the image of God. And it's God's choice of, of what he's going to do with us and with those dear children. Unfortunately, two passed. And Hayden survived in that situation. But yes, God is good. He wants us to have children who bear his image, to spread them over the face of the earth. And for us to, to kill children within the womb is, is a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. Job 1.21, when Job is facing the death of his own children, he helps us to think about God's authority. Because we could ask ourselves, who, so who then has the authority to give and take away life? Truly it is God. Job 121, after the death of his children, Job says this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave, they were conceived and born by God's act. And we think of all through the Old Testament, women who are barren. And then what does it say? God opens their womb. He's the one who gives life. He creates. And then the Lord has his prerogative. It is not ours to, to take those lives, those lives. We have just spent our last few weeks in Advent reading through the Gospel of Luke. Turn with me over there right, right quick to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 44. And we'll see something else about the baby within the womb from our own Lord and Savior and from, from his cousin, John the Baptist. Luke 1, starting with verse 39. In those days, Mary arose. She's already talked to the angel. She's going to go see Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting, listen to what it says. The blob moved. The embryo, no. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, Luke writes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the omniscient God, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my my womb leapt for joy. Notice two things. First, the word baby. The word baby. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The word baby there is not some specialized word for the unborn. Uh, this writer that I was in my commentaries this week, it has no connotations of embryo or fetus. It is the ordinary word for baby. And what makes this crystal clear and is significant is the way it's used in Luke 2.16. Here in Luke 1, it refers to John the Baptist in the womb, and in Luke 2, it refers to Jesus in the manger. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. This is the exact same word for baby. The baby in the womb is a baby. The baby outside the womb is a baby. Jesus inside the womb is Jesus. Jesus outside the womb is Jesus. John the Baptist inside the womb is John the Baptist. John outside the womb is John. What the Christian church has always seen is that children in the womb are babies. Even early in the early church, in some church writings called the Didache, there it says what we're forbidden to do. We're forbidden from murdering others. And it talks about being forbidden to kill the unborn son or daughter or the baby as well. Either the unborn child or the baby we're not allowed to kill. And today, science has only made it easier to understand this, hasn't it? The more we can go and get an ultrasound and see this, and this is why the good work that Mary Thompson is doing, Mary's not here today, is she? Mary Thompson at, at, the, at the Pro-Life Center here in Torrance is doing a fantastic work by doing what? Having people get an ultrasound before they decide to kill their child. Because they find out, wait a minute, oh my goodness, look at him in there. He's sucking his thumb. He's moving around. He's kicking. What a glorious thing. There's a baby in there. There's a baby in there. All the organs present, the brain is functioning, the heart is pumping, the liver is making blood cells, the kidneys are cleaning fluid, there's a fingerprint, all these things. Another thing we notice from this Luke passage is that, is that this child is treated as a person. The child is treated as a person. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Then in verse 44, Elizabeth interprets that leap like this. Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And Luke says that Elizabeth said this because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed, in other words, the Holy Spirit prompted her to say that this leap of the baby in her womb was a leap for joy. To increase the significance of that leap even more, one writer says, consider what an angel said to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, before his son was conceived. In Luke 1, 14, 15, the angel said, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is John's birth, John the Baptist. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So that leap is not only a leap for joy, but a leap of Holy Spirit-inspired joy. And who gets filled with the Holy Spirit? Not dogs, not elephants, not tigers, not dolphins, as wonderful as they are. They're not full of the Holy Spirit. People are filled with the Holy Spirit. Persons are filled with the Holy Spirit. What is it that's growing inside of Elizabeth is a baby who is leaping for joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and to kill that child, Elizabeth and Zechariah did the, the unimaginable and killed that child, they would have killed John the Baptist. Only persons are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we must affirm and believe and, 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 and rejoice in the gift of children. The beginning of life is, a, is an incredible thing and is it, a, it is a magnificent thing and our, and our hearts drop and we we, we're, we, we hurt and we struggle when we hear that, that uh, baby James, first Titus, right, then James, and is, is in the hospital and we pray for that child. And we plead for those children. We want health and growth and, 
security. And when some have the the experience of, of a miscarriage, we grieve as well. Why? Because there is a loss of life. And we grieve and we we mourn, and it's right that we do so. It's right that we do so. So God is good. Everything he creates is good. He desires his image to be spread over the whole face of the earth and to attack God's image is, is to attack him himself. But what about our enemy? Jesus says in John 10.10 that the thief, Satan, has a mission. What is he there to do? He only comes for three reasons. To steal, to kill, and destroy. To steal, to kill, and destroy. You understand that Satan has no creative power. God alone can create out of nothing. It reminds me of the old joke about the scientist and God supposedly having a a duel, right? They're going to both decide to make life. And and so they go, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to make life. And so the scientist reached down and grabs a handful of dirt, and God says, make your own dirt. God creates ex nihilo. God creates out of nothing. He says, let there be light, and there's light. He says, let there be life, and there is life. Satan can only distort, damage, disfigure all that God has done. And we see this throughout our culture as Satan continues to disfigure God's good design for humans. God's good design for humans. As men being men and women being women. And Satan comes and disfigures that and says, no, a man can lay with a man and do great damage to the image of God in that way. Or a woman can lay with a woman and do great damage to the image of God in that way. Satan destroys the good design and purpose for men and women. He destroys that in marriage and says, now, no, no, let me, let me, I can't, I can't create marriage. So what I'll do is I'll have a distortion of marriage and say that a man can marry a man and we'll call that marriage. That is why I will never refer to my good friend's who practice homosexuality as husbands. That is why I will never attend a gay marriage because I will not affirm what God has damned. And now we see even little girls, little boys, I've experienced it in my own situation, even as young as seven-year-olds, saying that they're no longer boys or girls. There's something else. And I'm the one that people think is crazy when I refuse to refer to a little girl as a boy. What's wrong with him? Satan comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. The AP reported... December 12th, no, December 8th, 2021, 
This is from the AP News Service. With more than two dozen states posed to ban, to ban abortion in the U.S. I'm sorry, let me start over. With more than two dozen states poised to ban abortion if the U.S. Supreme Court gives them the okay next year, that's coming this summer, California clinics and their allies and the state legislator on Wednesday revealed a plan to make the state a, and this is in quotes, sanctuary for those seeking reproductive care, including possibly paying for travel, lodging, and procedures for people from other states. Here's the quote from our governor. We'll be a sanctuary, Newsom said, adding he's aware patients will likely travel to California from other states to seek abortions. We are looking at ways to support that inevitability and looking at ways to expand our protections. Abortion, probably, perhaps more than any other issue, has divided the country for decades along most traditional partisan lines. A new decision overturning Roe v. Wade, which could come next summer, would be the culmination of more than 40 years of conservative activism. This is from the AP. But Wednesday's report offers a glimpse of how Democratic-dominated states could respond and how the debate over abortion access would change. So what does our state say? Alabama says, you can't kill babies here. And California says, bring them over here. We'll kill them for you. Texas or Mississippi says, don't kill. We can't kill babies here. We're not going to allow that here. And California says, bring them to us. We'll gladly kill them for you. I picture an idol next to Welcome to California, and above it, this great, great idol of Moloch, the Hebrew pagan god, the god that the Hebrews were forbidden from worshiping in the Old Testament. You're forbidden to give your children into the hands of Moloch. You're forbidden to put them into the fire. You're forbidden from sacrificing your children to this pagan idol. But now in California, we should put one up at the, Welcome to California. We'll take your children. We'll kill them for you. I find it interesting and telling that Governor Newsom uses the word sanctuary. This is a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a holy place given to the worship of God. And he rightly uses a religious term for what California will become. An unholy sanctuary for the killing of children. Let it not be so. Let it not be so. Brothers and sisters, we must believe and affirm that God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. And His creation is good. All that He creates is good. God desires that, that we spread his image over the face of the earth. And I'm not, I, I'm not joking about our church. It is a great thing. It is a beautiful thing that more young people are having kids. And we pray that they'll continue to have kids listening to God and, and honoring God and spreading his image over the face of the earth. But also, Lord, help us to grieve over these things. I confess to you, brothers and sisters, that I... I 
I am not as bothered by this as I should be. I know I'm not as I prepared this sermon this week. I'm not as bothered by these things as I should be. I'm not as grieved as I should be. But we must resist. We must stand firm. We must stand firm on the truth of God. We must stand firm on the truth of God. And when you stand firm on the truth of God, I cannot promise that people will not be mean to you. <laughs> okay? Just because you take a stand for God does not mean everything's going to be okay in this world. But we're not from this world, are we? We're not from this world. We're from another world. And we long to go there someday. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I, I pray that you will help my words even as they ring in these dear saints' ears and our friends' ears. That you will correct any wrong that I have said. But I pray that you will help us to affirm and believe that you are great, that you are good, and your design for this world and for humanity is a good design. It is the perfect design. And any time that we try to mess with that, Lord, we're messing with you. Lord, we've seen over time the attack on the Word of God and to try to corrupt your scriptures to say you are not really speaking there. And that's where that primary attack took place years ago. And as the word, as your word has been diminished over time, then people say, well, who are you to say that we can live or marry or be with whoever we want to? Lord, I pray again for those in our congregation who have been through an abortion. I pray that your grace and your mercy will be abundant to them, that they will know that there is no sin too great. Your arm is not too short to rescue, to save, to honor, to bring joy again to life in that person's heart. Lord, help us. Help us as we live here in this world to be shining lights. Help us to be the people who, like the first century Christians who would rush out when the Romans would leave their babies to be exposed, it was the first century Christians who would go and rescue those babies from the streets and bring them into their own homes. Lord, may we be rescuers. May we be fostering. May we, may we be adopting. May we be loving. May we affirm in our, by our children and by our, our marriages that we believe that you are good and you are right. May we be shining examples of, of, of the truth of your gospel. We thank you today, Lord, and um, we pray even now for this time and for our state especially, that there would be great repentance in our state. Lord, we need a miracle from you for our governor and for those who rule over us, that they would see the truth of your gospel, and they would repent and turn to you and be saved. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.